Welcome to Cannabis Health Radio, a podcast where we share stories from people around the world who are using cannabis as medicine. The information is meant to raise awareness about the health benefits of cannabis, but should not be taken as medical advice. Now, here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. And we welcome you to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yellett. Before we get into a discussion with our guests, I just wanted to to tell you about uh, an email we received. And we always love these, and uh, I don't think we toot our own horn often enough. This is from a woman in the U.S. I won't give her name. She said, just wanted to express my deepest gratitude for all the efforts and all the work you are both doing raising awareness, educating, and forming about life-saving alternatives. Your podcasts are priceless. Looking forward to listening to each new episode. Thank you, Angels on Earth. That was nice, wasn't it, Corey? That's very nice. Very, very nice. And joining us today to tell her story of her ongoing thyroid cancer is Katie Hazen from Oklahoma City. Katie, good of you to do this. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Now, when you were first diagnosed with thyroid cancer in 2017, what sort of symptoms were you experiencing before you were finally diagnosed with cancer? Um, Actually, I had thought that I was having some kind of thyroid problem um, for quite some time because I was putting on a bit of weight, even though I had a good diet and I went to the gym, but I still kept putting on weight. And um, I felt tired a lot. It just, I just felt not like myself. And when I looked at my symptoms, I thought that I had something wrong with my thyroid. So that's initially what I went to the doctor to try to figure out. And then you went to the doctor, and what did the doctor tell you? Actually, um, I had a really difficult time with it because... Most of the doctors that I saw would feel around my neck and say that they didn't um, feel anything suspicious or they'd do my labs and say that my labs came back all right. So um, they would suspect that nothing was wrong. So it actually wasn't until about a year later I got into a horrible accident and they actually had to end up scanning my neck to see if my neck was broken and they found it then. Uh you were in a car accident? Um, no, actually, I fell off of a second-story balcony. <laughs> oh, were you sober? <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> I had just moved into an apartment, um, and I had a gathering with some friends that helped me move, and I just we were outside, and I leaned up against the balcony, and it just gave way. Ooh. Oh, no. Yeah, and myself and another person just went tumbling down. <laughs> But if it wasn't for that, I would have never found I would have never found my cancer. No. But do you live in the same apartment still? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> now, when you or, when you had the observation by the doctors, what did they tell you? Um, when I first got diagnosed. They um, sat me down and said, well, um, your biopsy did come back cancerous, but the good news is, 
is that if you have to get cancer, this would be the kind that you want to get because it's the easiest to get rid of um, and the easiest to maintain. But they said that without actually knowing how <laughs> far along and how bad it actually was. So <laughs> it was like a short-lived comfort at that point. So how far along was it? Um, they said that with surgeries and treatments, they might be able to give me another 10 years. Wow. Now, when um, you're waiting for your diagnosis, did you ever suspect the big C or did you just think no. your were off? No, um, I just thought that maybe it was kind of a thyroid problem. Um, I never would have thought it was cancer, actually. Mm. Until when they said that they um, that they had found something that I should probably get checked out, they did an ultrasound and a biopsy, um, and they came back and said that it was cancer and it should be easy to get rid of. But then, when they did more scans and a little looking more into it, um, it had already gone through into my lymphatic system and started spreading other places. So we immediately had to get into surgeries and radiations. And I've had to have surgeries and radiations every year since. That And you have a family too, don't you? Yes. So, yes. and you got a, uh, a youngster? Yes, actually, um, she's three. Um, I had actually gotten pregnant with her in between my one of my diagnoses when I was um, in remission, mm -hmm. and then I ended up getting re-diagnosed when I was about six months along, and then we had to get her out early because I had to be moved into surgery and radiation as soon as possible. Boy, that's an emotional shock for you when you have a a child and uh, the doctors only give you 10 years? Yeah, um, it has been. And it's also really rough because when I do the treatment, I have to be quarantined through the radiation treatments. And so my children and any animals out of my house and... Uh, it will be weeks that I have to go in. Um, I have to just be segregated into one room. Food has to be left at my door. I can't have any physical contact with people. Any adults in my house will still get radiation headaches. It's a process. <laughs> so wow. it was because of the radiation that you were receiving and not because of a weakened immune system. Yes. Oh, okay. Are you still doing radiation? Um, I'm not. Um, I've done it three times, and I've had four major surgeries on my throat so far. And um, I was re-diagnosed for the fourth time in February of 2021. And they said that I didn't have to move into a surgery or a treatment right then, and so I decided I wasn't going to. And, um, that's really when I started getting to talk to people about cannabis and what it could help with. And tell us how you got into cannabis and started taking it. Um, well, I wasn't really a cannabis user before, 
because I was in law enforcement. And so after my first surgery, I started using edibles for pain. And then I got introduced to some people in the industry here in Oklahoma City that knew a lot more than I did. And so they started explaining to me about RSO and what it could do. And I started looking into it myself. And so I decided that that's how I was going to start going about it. Trying to treat the RSO different tinctures. So you were, a, you were a former cop? Uh, I was a corrections officer. Corrections officer. Yeah. Corrections. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. So you started. Uh, you started using cannabis oil. Tell us about that. Take us through that. Um, really, it was just kind of an experimental thing. I started kind of working in the industry, so I would get, um, like samples, like people would try this out, see how it goes. Um, I started on a regular basis about nine months ago see how it would help so at this point I'm still going to the doctors every um, six months to monitor there's been a mass that has uptaken in, um, in my lung that we're watching there's another uh, nodule that's up against my carotid artery in my throat so they will not try to touch that one really <laughs> um so the point that we're trying to do is to get those nodules to shrink using the RSO and I'm using it um, in capsules and in topicals. So are you doing any of this rectally or are you doing it all orally? Um, orally and on the skin because I also have um, nodules that are just under the skin so they can actually be felt on my neck. So it's enough to where I'm using um, a CBD lotion on my skin above it, and then I take a capsule orally. Is this a multi-strain oil you're taking? Yes. Awesome. Um, I don't know if you're aware, Katie, that uh, the rectal application of cannabinoids is 100 times stronger for THC, 250 for CBD you might want to consider starting to use that and you won't get high with it like that either. Oh, wow. I've actually um, heard some of that, but here it's been a little more difficult to find for me, at least. I don't know about anybody else, but um, I've actually just saw something about it the other day and started looking into it. Right. It just might give you that extra zip to nail this back. Yeah. At this point, I'm taking, um, uh, of course, I'm taking a lot more than RSO. I've got friends that have given me um, gummies that have CBG in them that is said to help. Awesome. Uh, I just had another scan, I think, about a week and a half ago. And after I had started taking a really high dose. Okay, so I guess I can go back. About a month ago, I had a scan that the doctor said, well, I'm going to scan you again in a month because it's okay, but we're going to see if this is like, because one of my nodules had gotten a little bigger. So 
my cancer is typically pretty aggressive and fast spreading. So he wanted to check again in a month. So I started taking a really, really high dose of RSO every day for that month just to see if it made any sort of a difference. And it did. They said that one of my nodules looked slightly smaller, but then also one of them looked slightly bigger too. So we're still kind of experimenting with different things. Interesting. Often when uh, these tumors are dying, they will change shape and appear to be getting larger. So something you might want to keep in mind there. When you say really high dose, Katie, how, how much were you taking? Um, so I would take in the morning, I would take a 200 milligram capsule. And then in the afternoon, I would take an 85. And then in the evening, I would take a 400. Okay, so you're not quite up to a gram a day then? Um, not quite, but almost. Mm-hmm. Okay. So do you feel like you're making progress? I do, actually. Um, over the last six to nine months, I honestly feel physically healthier. Awesome. In a really long time. I've been able to get out. A lot of my last couple of years have been spent in indoors, you know, with um, doing these radiation treatments and then recovering after them. It just, I feel like it really kind of left nothing left. There was nothing left of me after that. But since I've been able to stop doing that, and it's just, it made a world of difference for me. In what ways besides your energy? Um, socially. <laughs> I've actually been go out and um, it's very different for me because there were three years where I really almost had little to no human interaction. And so at first when I got out and about, I had a horrible social anxiety. But now <clears throat> I've been able to start sharing my story. And it's helped me being able to talk about it. And I feel like it's helped other people. And I think, Katie, as well, Corey makes a very good point about using uh, cannabis oil as a suppository. The 100 times the strength of THC and 250 times the CBD, I think that would go a long way to helping you. And... uh, you could also possibly get up to a gram a day, and then you wouldn't have to worry about uh, getting high during the day. Do you get high during the day? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I um, I actually, I work in the cannabis industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I work for a magazine, Herbage Magazine, here in Oklahoma. Yeah. And um, so we, we are very, very involved. Um, so, yeah, I'm a regular medicinal and recreational user both but i definitely was a patient first how has this sorry go ahead Corey. oh i was just going to say there there are some that would argue that all cannabis use is medicinal yeah they just don't realize oh, yeah. that. definitely agree with that too but yeah uh, yeah <laughs> How has uh, your isolation uh, impacted your, I guess, your relationship with other people? And also, how has it uh, affected uh, you and your family? Um, 
That's been a really difficult part for me. Um, I lost a lot of people in the process, you know, because everyone else's life goes on. They can't stop living just because you're stuck in this room day after day. Mm-hmm. Um, so really the, the loneliness is ridiculously unbearable. Um, and then I really kind of started to lose faith in people. You know, my best friends stopped checking on me and, you know, life went on. And so, um, my children, so I have a 15 year old now, but she had to start homeschooling back, uh, when I first got diagnosed because I was on my own and she was, she helped me out. So it's been, you know, she's kind of grown up a lot in the last couple of years, helping me. A lot of things have changed. <laughs> That's a lot. A lot. That's, that is a whole lot to go through. Yeah, that's tough. And I still feel like I have um, effects from it. I still wonder, um, you know, at what point, because I'm still kind of going through this, or, you know, the relationships that I've made since then, is are those going to disappear? You know, so there's still a lot of, kind of anxiety that comes with it which I also treat with marijuana (laughs) ultimately though I have a really good outlook Um, it's just changed everything (laughs) I don't feel hopeless I don't feel like it's the first time that I don't feel like I'm on a clock Mm -hmm. nice yeah that is nice yeah, it's tough when and, they when they tell you you've, you've only got ten years. Yeah, yeah, and though it, it almost seems um, desensitized because it's like they say it almost so nonchalantly, mm-hmm. you know, with surgeries and treatments, we can probably give you another ten years. Yeah, and at that point, it's like, man, that's not even seeing my oldest kid graduate, <laughs> and it's you know that that stuff gets to you really bad. Um, but, but since it, it sounds this, like it's and I really I really felt like those words were true every time that I had to go back and do a treatment. It just the isolation and the recovery time and it's just it really makes you wonder if it's even worth it. But you know, I think Katie for yourself going through this treatment is hard enough. But to have that side effect of having to be in isolation added to the mix, that's, that, that must have been absolutely horrible. It was. My first time, it was about two months. Um, and then the second time, I think it was about six weeks. And the third time, it was about another six weeks. <laughs> um, it's just the worst. It is the worst. I could not see doing that year after year until I couldn't anymore. It sounds like it sounds like I started to get hopeless about it. Like it's not worth trying to continue because I'm getting re-diagnosed every six months. And um, so I was really at that low point and I started getting introduced to this. And I really kind of fell into it by 
accident. <laughs> it was someone that I met that I started talking to about it. Just it was a nonchalant conversation that we sat down and like two hours later, I'm like, okay, well, I should start trying these things because it can't be any worse than where I'm at right now. <laughs> Would you? And ever- it actually started getting better yeah would you ever do radiation and and surgery again i don't know i might do the surgery i don't know if i would do the radiation again conversation it's kind of um it's a little bit of a tight subject between family because they think recommended by the doctor that I absolutely should, but I think that it just takes too much away. There are parts of you that don't come back after that. Yeah, we interviewed uh, a fellow uh, podcast before you in uh, the UK who underwent radiation treatment every day for 20 uh, 20 minutes a day for six months. And he had uh, brain cancer. And uh, he was told that the radiation stays in your body for 10 years. And he's halfway through it. And he was given, what was he given, Corey, about 14 months to live? Uh, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Jason. J- uh, yeah. And Jacob. I called him Jason as well. And no, it's, no, no, it's Jason. Is it Jason? Yeah, Jason Delacan. Oh, I got it backwards. Anyway, he... Uh, he was given a diagnosis of 14 months. That was five years ago. But he's, his battle uh, now is with uh, the radiation effects because it stays in yep. your body. And he has trouble with, still has trouble with his uh, double vision. But uh, I think, you know, if you stick with the cannabis program, uh, you know, and we talk to you uh, by the end of this year, I think uh, you should be in great shape. As long as you have the right materials in that uh, cannabis product you're taking. Yeah, I think I've really felt there was a time when um, a couple of months ago, so I've taken it, you know, regularly every day. I have allowed myself to run out for a couple of days. And I started feeling really bad again to where the point I called my doctor and I said, I'm starting to, it sounds really weird, but I'm starting to feel like I have cancer. (laughs) And it's such a weird thing to say because I have it. But I have felt using this product, I have felt healthy than I have in years. And when I didn't use them for a few days, I started noticing the actual physical effects. Yeah. It was so <laughs> So to me, I fully believe in it, and I am fully convinced from my own personal that it's making the world of difference. How has your daughter uh, dealt with this, your 15-year-old daughter? Um... It's been pretty difficult for her. Uh, um, she she shuts down a lot. Um, she kind of holds a lot of things in. It's a tough age. <laughs> it's a tough age to be just for a normal girl, you know, going mm-hmm. through that. But then to have your mom so sick 
And, you know, when, when I had a, my first throat surgery, that it ended up paralyzing my right vocal cord. So there was two years I couldn't speak above a whisper. Oh, my God. Which I ended up to have another surgery to correct that. I've had um, neck dissection, so I've got scars going from, like, ear to ear almost. Um, so she's watched me go through all of that. So it's been pretty tough for her. Yeah, I mean, she's scared, right? Yeah. And who wouldn't be? Yeah. Who wouldn't be? I mean, it's a tough thing to see that, uh, you know, your mother is, what your mother is going through and what, uh, and how distressed that she has become and the surgeries that you've had to endure, the radiation, the isolation. I mean, uh, you know, a 15-year-old should be out having fun. Yeah, definitely. But when this is over... actually her first year back in public school in about four years. Wow. Has been this year. Um, so she's also going through a bit of an adjustment period with it. Um, but yeah, I feel like we're slowly getting back on track to normalcy. And I think once you resolve this, and I have every confidence that you will resolve it, she will be your biggest fan. Yeah. Yeah, we have definitely, um, we've got a, a bond. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that every parent has a bond with their children, but um, I definitely think we have a special bond. She's, she's grown up so much um, because she's really had to. And she's handled everything so well. And I'm really proud of her. (laughs) Yeah, that's nice. Katie, what would you like to say to folks who are listening to this, who may be somewhat um, hesitant about taking cannabis? It's a hard decision because even when you are talking to people about cannabis and using it, that everyone's going to have their own opinions and everyone's going to be telling you what to do. And it's hard and it's overwhelming, but it's absolutely worth it. It's not painful. (laughs) You don't have to be alone. In fact, you will find such a support system in the, not like in the cannabis community at all. So then you've got, it's just worth it. Look into it, do your own research if it gets overwhelming, but it's worth it. Yeah, very well said. Katie, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me on. Keep us posted, Katie, and how you're doing, eh? All right, I will do, and thank you guys so much. It was so nice talking to you. Thanks for coming on, Katie. And we'd like to apologize to our listeners for the quality of uh, some of that podcast. Uh, We blame Skype. Uh, We use Skype, so let's blame them. Uh, We'd like to thank you, dear listener, for helping us out at Cannabis Health Radio, and we'd like to offer you the challenge of uh, saving someone's life by sharing our podcasts with others in the hopes that uh, they will learn more about cannabis and how some of these people have used cannabis to essentially save their own life. And if you'd like to support us, we have no sponsors on Cannabis Health Radio. Uh, You are our sponsor. And if you'd like to support us, there are a few ways you can do it. 
You can become a monthly supporter for as little as $5 a month on our Patreon page, and you can also make a one-time donation through our website. This can all be done through our website at CannabisHealthRadio.com. And we'll be back again next week with another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. Thanks for listening to Cannabis Health Radio. For more information and to search previous podcasts, visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. Subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This podcast is made possible by donations from our listeners. If you found the information helpful, please consider making a donation in any amount through our website. You can also help us share our message by leaving a review on your podcast listening platform. We are very grateful for your support. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.